Amen. The amazing grace that God bestows upon us, even though we're not deserving of it. Amen. Good to see each one this morning. You have your Bibles this morning. Go ahead and turn to the Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22. I want to talk to you today on six responsibilities of the faithful Christian. We as God's people, if we are going to be faithful to God, I believe there's at least six things we can see in Revelation chapter 22, verses 7 through 21, that are mandated for us as God's people to be responsible to carry out in this old world that we're living. For years, we've, uh, you know, as people of God, we've entertained the thought that this could be the year of the return of our Lord. You know, we have heard that and heard that and heard that, and though we've heard it for years, you know, truly this day and the time that we're living, you know, there's far more evil around us, I believe, than ever before. You know, more murders, more rapes, more disobedience in the hearts of the children toward their parents and those in authority, more natural disasters, more wars and rumors of wars, more famine and diseases, and the love of God, you know, it, it seems like it's grown cold in the hearts of those who call themselves His people, which leads to religious uh, hypocrisy throughout our nation and the world. I believe there's more religious hypocrisy right now, you know, because people who say they are children of God are not living for God, and, you know, it just causes a bad... Uh, outlook, should we say, on Christianity. Yes, world events as well as bi uh, Bible chronology you know, indicates that the last days are upon us. And Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he had this to say, in the last days there will be many troubles and people um, excuse me, would love themselves more than God, love money, brag, and be proud, they will say evil things against others and will not obey their parents, uh, be thankful, uh, uh, or be kind uh, of the people that God desires them to be. They will not love others. They will refuse uh, to forgive. They gossip. They're not in control of themselves. They'll be cruel. They'll hate what is good, and they'll love what is evil. They'll turn against their friends and will do foolish things without thinking. Uh, they, they will be conceited and love pleasures instead of God and will act as if they serve God, but they will not have His power. Folks, that describes the day and the time that we're living in. Yes, this could certainly be the, the, the year of the return of our Lord. And if that is the case, I believe there's six things that maybe we better take a look and see is, are they active within our life? If it is something, these things that we're, they're going to look at this morning, are they a part of our life? First of all, verse 7, Revelation chapter 22. Let's start there. First thing we have to learn to do, folks, and the responsibility we have as God's people is to heed the message of the book. Here's what John had to say. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Now, there's one thing also that Paul said would happen in the last days Paul said that people would have a form of godliness, but they would deny the power thereof. Look, when we refuse, excuse me, to keep the sayings of this book, what happens is we forfeit the power of God that's available to us as His people. You know, we have a lot of people in a lot of churches 
who have a religious form of nature, but there's no godliness within their life. And because there's no godliness within their life, there's no power within their life to overcome the temptations of life. And that's why we see so many people who are, quote, Christians who are living like the world is because that they're not really serving God. Therefore, the power to overcome the temptations in their life is not there. Look, looking at this idea of being responsible, we got to heed the message. And I believe there's two groups of people that must heed the message of this book. Let's take a look at these two groups of people. First of all, for the unbeliever. Now, if you're here this morning and you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior, you're what is classified as an unbeliever. You've never believed in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. The, the responsibility of that person is to flee the wrath that is to come. You see, the unbeliever must understand there is coming a wrath of God that you will have to experience if you do not accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You know, if you reject the calling of God upon your life, the first part of that wrath is going to be you're going to have to go through the tribulation period if that uh, the rapture of the church happens before you die. You're going to experience the wrath of God like never before during that tribulation period. And the second part of that is, you know, you're going to spend eternity in hell as a result. And the thing is, you don't have to. Why? Because Jesus Christ has already paid the price for your sin. That price has been paid for that ticket to heaven. But many people, these unbelievers, you know, they're going to have to face the wrath of God if they do not accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Now, for the believer, what we have to do is prepare for that soon return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And again, folks, I don't see how that can be much longer when you look around at this world that we're in. For the believer, we must understand that we can't have the attitude, well, I'm saved, I'm sealed, and I'm satisfied. Listen, the moment we get that attitude that I'm saved, I'm sealed, and I'm satisfied, we're of no longer any value to the kingdom of God. Because, uh, you know, listen, immediately following the rapture of the church is going to be that beam of seat judgment of Christ where we as His children are going to answer to Jesus Christ for how we've lived since we've been saved, how we've lived since we've committed our life to Him. And though you'll have made it to heaven, that's good. Though you have made it to heaven, listen, there's many rewards that are going to be at stake for how we live our life today. You know, who wants to stand before the Lord knowing they could have done more for the kingdom while they was here on the earth? Who wants to stand before the Lord knowing that they had wasted many years of their life that they could have used been making a difference in someone else's life? Who wants to stand before the Lord you know, knowing that they could have shared Christ with a family member or a friend who is now spending eternity in heaven? Who wants to stand before Jesus Christ at that Bema Seat judgment and answer all these questions? Look, the message to both groups is different, yet it's the same. It's the message of repentance for that non-believer. That's the message of the, to the uh, non-believer. You better repent. You better repent. Repentance for salvation. For, though the, for the believer, it's repentance to righteousness. Now, our second responsibility as fathers, uh, followers of Christ is to worship God. Do we really worship God? You know, what is the definition of that? Do we really worship God? Look at verse 8 and 9. And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I heard and seen, I fell down to worship uh, before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. Then saith he unto me, See thou do that not, for I am thy fellow servant 
and uh, of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book. And here's what he says, worship God. Folks, that is who we're to worship. What or who do you worship this morning? What is it that you actually worship? The truth is, in these last days we're living in, most people have other gods, you know, that they give a greater priority in their life to than the God Jehovah. You see, it may be the God of money. It may be the God of materialism, the God of sports, the God of nature, the God of religion. And the thing is, most people never see these things as other gods within their life because Satan has blinded their eyes to that fact. He's blinded their eyes to the fact that this could be a a God within your life. Where is your allegiance this morning? You know, to whom do you give most of your time? To whom or what do you give most of your money? Well, that thing may just very well be your God. Now, the next thing we see here is most churches today are characterized by dead worship because they're full of people who follow tradition, okay, but do not know God, nor do they know how to worship Him. There's many churches that way today. Look, if you know Him, you're going to love Him. And if you love Him, you're going to desire to worship Him. And if you love Him and you know Him, you will worship him that's the key now the next thing is when a person you know comes to really know and experience god that person will really want to worship god they'll really want to worship god you know as his child your worship to him should be first priority in your life now the third thing with our responsibility is to preach the message of this book preach the message of this book look at verse 10 And he said unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. Folks, the closer we get to the time of the soon return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it's more important to preach what the Word of God has to say. Because time is getting short. Many thousands and millions of people are going to spend eternity in hell if we don't get the message of the cross out to them. What, did John, what was John told by this angel? You know, the time is at hand, so preach the book. Preach the book. John was told in chapter 10, verse 9 and 11, to eat the book of this prophecy. He said, eat the book. And he was told, look, when you eat the book, and he's talking about the words of the Bible, when you eat it, it's going to be as sweet as honey to your mouth. Boy, it's going to taste good. But it's going to be bitter to the stomach. Now, what did he mean by that? The tr- word of God sometimes is truly uh, easy spoken, but it's hard to digest at times, isn't it? It's easy to read what the Word of God says, but sometimes it's hard to digest that and make it a part of our life. Look, as Christians, we're to share the message of the soon return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's our responsibility, folks, and even more so in these end times. Look, this is one of the areas that I believe that many saved people are going to have to answer to Jesus for on that day following the rapture at the Bema Seat Judgment of Christ, was I faithful in sharing the message of the book? Did I share my faith with others? Did did I share my testimony with others? Did I introduce others to Jesus? Was I faithful in the truths of God's Word? Folks, I believe this is some of the questions we're going to have to deal with when we as God's people are standing before Jesus Christ to give an account 
of our life following our conversion. Yes, as his children, we're obligated to preach the message of the book, though at times it's going to be difficult to swallow. And it is difficult to swallow sometimes. Look, in the day and the time which we live, it can be difficult to, 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 for some to swallow the truth that living together outside of marriage is a sin. But folks, as his children, we're obligated to preach that message. You know, in this day and this time that we live, it's hard to swallow the truth that homosexuality and same-sex marriage is an abomination to God. But as his children, as his people, we're obligated to preach that message because the message is in the book. Look, the question, you know, that will be asked is, were we faithful in preaching the message of the Word of God? And we're going to have to deal with that. Not just from the pulpit, but out in the pew too. Was you faithful in standing strong for the Word of God? Now, the fourth thing that we as followers of Christ are responsible to do is live a life of obedience and faithfulness to Him. Look at verse 12. You see, rewards are going to be granted according to our works. He says this, and behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me. What he's saying is, I'm going to come back, I'm going to rapture the church, and my reward is with me. The rewards you're going to receive are the rewards you're going to lose as a result of your faithfulness or unfaithfulness. And he goes on to say, to every man, you know, according to or as his work shall be. Look, though salvation is not dependent upon works, please understand, I'm not saying salvation is dependent upon works. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is clear about that. For salvation, you know, it, it has nothing to do with works. Not of works, what did he say? Least any man should boast, but by grace. So I'm not saying that salvation is dependent upon our works, you know, but our rewards in heaven are dependent on our works while we're here on this earth. Okay? We need to understand that. In other words, good works are a byproduct of salvation. Look, as, as with most of his promises, Jesus then puts his signature in verse 13. I love it when I see the signature of Jesus. Look what he says in verse 13. He gives his promise. Behold, I'm coming quickly. I'm going to have my reward with me. And every man's going to receive the reward according to how he has worked since he's been saved. And then here's where he signs his name. You know, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Folks, any time you see that, it's usually following a promise, and what that is is God signing his signature to agree to make that promise a binding promise. Look, what we see here in verse 13 is Jesus putting his signature on this prob promise just as he has made. And many times, you know, we see throughout the book of the Revelation, Jesus making this promise and signing his name you know, I am the Alpha. I am the Omega. In other words, that is the, he is signing that binding contract he is making with us, his people. The fifth thing is to protect the message of the book. Look at verse 18. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of this prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in the book. Now, I believe this particular passage in, in verse 18 here is actually speaking about adding to or taking away from the words of the prophecy in the book of the Revelation, okay? However, I believe it applies to all Word of God. We can't water down the Word of God just so people will not get their feelings hurt. 
We can't water down, take away from the Word of God just so people are not offended. We can't water down or take away the Word of God just to be politically correct. Look, as God's people, we're to keep the words of this book and this book only as the words of God. You know, unlike the Mormons whose authority is the Book of Mormon, or the Jehovah's Witness who put more stock in the watchtower, which is their primary means of making known their belief, as true children of God, folks, our only source is the Word of God. And that's why we have to keep it pure. That's why we have to keep it as God has given it to us. The Bible is the true Word of God. Look, commentaries are fine. And I use commentaries in preparing, uh, you know, sermons. I use commentaries in preparing Bible studies on Sunday night and Wednesday night. Commentaries are fine, folks, but commentaries are not the Word of God. You know, Christian novels, a lot of people read Christian novels, and, you know, they take that as all, you know, you know it's got to be godly because it's a Christian novel. Christian novels are fine. There's nothing wrong with Christian novels, but understand, they're not the Word of God. Look, our authority is the Word of God and the Word of God only. And it is the Word of God that we have to keep pure. We have to keep pure. Look, we as a church are obligated to protect each and every word that is written within these pages and rebuke those who would dare change them. Rebuke them. Now, the sixth and final thing is this. We as God's people need to daily yearn for His soon return. That ought to be a desire in each and every one of us to, 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 to yearn for that return of our Lord. Look what he says in verse 20. He which testifieth these things saith, he saith, Surely I come quickly, amen, even so come, Lord Jesus. Folks, we should yearn for that eastern sky to break forth one day and Jesus Christ appear. As his people, that should be our desire, that should be our yearning, that should be what we're looking for. You know, maybe every morning when we wake up, we need to look to that eastern side and see if it's opening up. That should be our yearning. That should be what we yearn for. You know, the first century church, they yearned for the soon return of the Lord. The apostles, they yearned for the soon return of the Lord. And even the Spirit of God, we're told in verse 17, look at that. Even the Spirit of God yearns for the soon return of the Lord. Here's what he said. And the Spirit and the bride say, come. What's he talking about? Come. Come, Lord Jesus. And let him that heareth say, come. Those of you hearing me this morning, this ought to excite you, and, and you want to see the return of the Lord and say, come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Look, this, there's an old saying that says, you know, uh, good things come to those who wait. But I believe that few within our churches today are yearning for the soon return. Now, my question to you this morning is, are you yearning for the return of our Lord today? Or are you yawning because you've heard it so long? You see, that's the problem. As many as heard it all their life, Jesus could come any day. Jesus could come any day. Jesus could come any day. And what happens is, oh, yeah, I know, I know. Look, I don't care how many times you've heard it, you should still yearn for the coming of our Lord to take us out of this old evil world. 
Yes, good things come to those that wait. And I think for many people, the idea of having to wait on something that really uh, they, that, that they really deserve, you know, sometimes can be nerve-wracking. You know, why do you think people buy microwaves? Because they want what they want instantly. I can have it in two minutes. You know, why do you think people draw, go through drive throughs Because they think they can get it <laughs> now. Let me tell you something. You know, just some of these places, you, you don't want to go through Chick-fil-A drive through you know. Well, I went, and then I, I got to throw this out. And if I offend someone this morning, you know, you got to love me anyway. Me and Debbie, you know, went somewhere yesterday, and we took that road in front of Walmart, and I couldn't believe this. And I hope none of you go to Starbucks and spend that big money for a cup of coffee, you know. Uh, anyway, uh, but the line was wrapped around Starbucks. And I asked Debbie, what the heck's going on? She said, that's Starbucks. I said, so why is there so much traffic? Well, it's Starbucks. <laughs> you can get a cup of coffee down at Dorothy's for 50 cents. Okay. 50 cents, and I mean a big cup, you know. There's only one time I drank Starbucks coffee. No, it didn't. Uh, let me take that back. I started to. We was on vacation a few years ago at that Wolf Creek Lodge in Dallas. Y'all been there, Misty? Wolf Creek Lodge in, in Dallas. They, they, you have coffee every morning if you want it. I went up the first morning because the coffee was free. You know, as Baptist preachers, we're going to find the free coffee. Well... All they had was Starbucks. I never drank Starbucks coffee. I've been hearing about Starbucks coffee. I said, well, I'll try this, you know, fancy stuff that rich folk drink. So I got me a cup of Starbucks coffee, took a sip. I spit it out. And I'm not joking. I went the whole week without coffee. I did because I couldn't drink that nasty stuff. And then to see people lined up around, that's a different story. All Anyway, people think it's quicker to go through drive throughs you know. Okay, I can do that. All right. But anyway, you know, but people want what they want now, okay? You know, so, you know, but look at First, at first Corinthians. I think I got it up here. He says, Paul said this, but as, as, uh, is a, as it is written, I have not seen, nor ear have heard, neither has entered into the heart of a man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. I may have to wait a little longer, folks. But in my mind, I can't even imagine what God has in store for me. Is that worth waiting for? Look at verse 10. But God hath revealed them to us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. Look, I don't know for sure what he has waiting for me, but I do know that he's been gone over 2,000 years preparing it. Jesus said in John 14, I go away to prepare a place for you, and if I go away to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you unto my own, that where I am, there you will be also. He said that over 2,000 years ago. Now stop and think about this. This is great. It took him and God six days to create this entire earth. Six days. Can you imagine what he's been working on for over 2,000 years? Just a thought. Just a thought. But he says, you know, eyes not seen nor ears heard, neither can enter our heart what God has waiting for those who love him. Do you love him this morning? Are you a child of his this morning? 
then let me tell you, it's worth waiting for. Look, Paul is saying here that we cannot even in our wildest imagination know this. Look, you have never seen anything like what he's building for you. You've never heard anything like the words and the music, you know, that, that you're going to hear as you enter his glory. Neither has it ever entered into your heart what God has in store for you. So just wait. Don't yawn. Yearn for that soon return. And in Romans 8 and 18, he says this, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time, whatever it is you're going through in life today, whatever it is you're suffering in this old world today, Paul says it's not worthy to be compared with the glory that God will reveal in us. What is it you're going through this morning? Let me tell you, it's nothing, Paul says, compared to what God has for you. You know, we may be suffering at times, but hold to the faith. We may face ridicule and persecution for standing for our faith. We may even lose family and friends or a job for taking a stand for righteousness. But Paul says, whatever sufferings you're going through today, whatever sufferings you're going through on this earth is nothing compared to what God has in store for you. So just hold on. Just hold on. And God is going to make it worth it all. Look, so many things God has promised for those who love him and his appearing. He promises just for a few. He promises that rapture of the church. Praise God. He promises glorification of this old body, you know, during the rapture of the church. He, he, he promises complete sanctification of the body and the soul and the spirit following the rapture of the church. He promises eternal salvation with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. He promises an eternal abode in that new Jerusalem for His bride, those who are faithful and obedient during this life. And He even promises us a, a new name. A new name. Remember the old song, there's a new name written down in glory? Well, the song is about when we're saved, our name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. But when you read the book of the Revelation, the last part there... He's going to give us a new name and glory too. Look, this is just a few of the many promises he's made to us here at the end of the book, and he signs his name to it to make it a binding contract. I am the Alpha. I am the Omega. I am the beginning. I am the end. I am the first. I am the last. The question to consider is this. Where are you spiritually this morning? Child of God, are you serving the Lord the way you should? If he was to come today, if he was to come tonight and that eastern sky open up and that trumpet sounds and we're caught up, are you really ready to meet him? Or would you say, there's some things I need to get straight first. Well, what's keeping you from getting them straight? Because it could be any minute. There's no prophecy that must be fulfilled before Jesus Christ comes back for his church. As a child of his, are we being obedient and faithful to him? Or are we doing just enough to get by? Just enough to get into heaven. Notice this final words. Surely I come quickly. In other words, once he splits that eastern sky, folks, it's going to be that quick. You won't have time then to get some things straight in your life. If you're not saved, if you're an unbeliever, you won't have time at that point to fall down on your knees and ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins, come into your heart, 
and save you. If you are a child of God, you won't have time to say, maybe I better get some things straight in my life. Nope. Why? Because he said, I'm coming. I'm coming quickly. It's going to happen in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. You know, they say that you can, of course, they got all this fancy equipment now, that they can, they can uh, time the blinking of your eye. In other words, when you blink. They can time that. But they can't time the twinkling of an eye. You know what the difference is in blinking and, and twinkling? When you blink, your eye actually shuts. But the twinkle in your eye is, I can go back to when Debbie first saw me. <laughs> no, seriously. Just that twinkle in her eye. I lit up her life. She's not in here. She's doing children's church, so I can be as, say all I want. long as Linda don't go tell her some of the things I said. But that's what a twinkle is. You know, Jimmy, you're laughing, brother, but that twinkle happened in your eye when you saw Brenda, didn't it? It's that twinkle in your eye. That can't be timed. That can't be, you, 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 you know, clock. And that's what he's talking about. It's going to happen that quick. So, child of God, are you serving him the way you should? Or you know there's some areas that you're failing and being obedient and faithful to him? You know what? Maybe we need to get that straight this morning. If you're here and you're an unbeliever, you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior again, you're not going to have a chance at that point either. Because once he takes his church out, boom, the tribulation period begins at that moment. Seven years of hell here on this earth. Like we've never seen. Are you ready this morning? Are you ready? Let's pray.